This is the Yada Yada Podcast, where we get to the heart of the Christian sexual ethic with biblical truths and real talk about sex, purity, and relationships. We're your hosts, Ashley and Amber from Across My Heart Ministries. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the third episode of Yada Yada. Today, we're going to be talking about theology of the body. Mm -hmm. I love this topic. I know you do. It's something that I have been passionate about for a while. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's so much more natural to talk to people about it now because of what we just experienced over this last year and a half with all of our social distancing and restrictions on gathering. Mm. Um, Really, COVID has made us aware of our need for personal connection with people. To be physically present with someone is a gift. Your body is a gift. And I think all of us, you know, even pre-COVID could agree with kind of this reality that being long distance, being away from people is hard. Mm -hmm. Like long distance friendships, long distance relationships, they aren't easy. Um, My husband and I, this is Ashley talking, we had a long distance relationship when we fell in love. He went to college in Wisconsin. I'm from Michigan. And Even with all of the love letters and Skype calls, we couldn't wait until the next time we were together in person. Yeah. We looked forward to that. And I think that's true of any relationship, whether it's long distance or not. You long to be together. And isn't that, I mean, that's kind of part of what it means to be human, Mm -hmm. to be physically present right where you are. I mean, think about it. Being human, we can only be in one place at one time. Yeah, it's one of our limitations. One yeah. of the ways in which we're not like God. We're mini we're we're not. Yeah, we're not mini gods who can be everywhere all at once. We have to choose where we're going to be and when. And so to be fully present, to be undistracted is truly a gift to give someone your your presence. And I mean, we, we try, if we're being honest with ourselves, to be in more than one place at a time. Yeah. We're, you know. On our phones and with someone <laughs> at the <Yeah>. same time. <laughs> Not tuned into the conversation. But we miss out on what it means to be right there, to be here with each other, to give each other time. Um, and presence. I think that's one of the greatest gifts of all. And so the theology of the body has a way of reminding us of the importance of our presence here on earth, that you were created for such a time as this, that when God created you, your body, it isn't just a nobody, it's a somebody. Your body is somebody and it's you. Hmm. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, there's no good trying to be more spiritual than God. God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. He likes matter. He invented it. (laughs) Oh, that's, yeah, that's very, very true. Our bodies and our souls, they should not be separated. We shouldn't think of them as 
these like two completely distinct and separate things, even though we often do. Um, theologians called this conditional unity. It's the theological principle that our body and our soul, they're distinct. So we, we can speak about them distinctly, but they're inseparable. And what I mean by that is the only time that we are separate from our bodies is for the brief time of, of death. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. We weren't created to become separate from our bodies, but it is part of death that the body and the soul are separated in this intermittent time. But we will be reunited with the body. Jesus himself, when he was raised from the dead, he was raised with his body. He ascended to heaven with his body. I mean, did you ever think about that, Amber? Yes, I, I have actually thought about that. That we'll have human bodies like Jesus too. And actually, 1 Corinthians 6.14, I have this verse written down if you want a biblical proof text for it. It says, by his power, God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, and he will raise us also. Yeah, I think that's so, it's so important. It's important to realize that as humans, we were never meant to be just floating spirits, but we've been flesh and bone from the beginning. God didn't just create our soul and then plop it into some random body, but when he first made Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground, he started with matter. That was a very, you know, intimate and intricate process as he formed them with physical elements and then he breathed life into them. And we know that you know, it's not just Adam and Eve that received this level of care, but it tells us in the Psalms how we're knit together in our mother's wombs, that God sees that physical forming process of the body that, you know, that our soul, well, embodies. <laughs> and yeah. so they are meant to be tied together, our body and our soul. So God created men and women in his own image, and he called it very good. In Genesis 1, 26 through 27, and then in verse 31. So the human form, the human body, it's it's good. It's not just our soul and the spiritual part of us that's called good, but the actual physical creation part is also referred to as good. So as Christians, now, we believe that physical things, they are created for a purpose and that the physical, what we see in the physical can actually speak to that purpose. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have legs to run. Uh, birds have wings to fly. We're given bodies for a reason. And as an anatomy and physiology teacher, I see this a lot. Like yeah. the human body is designed with certain functionality. I mean, mm. our muscles, our bones, they're oriented in such a way so we walk upright versus you know, the way that dogs or bears walk on all four legs. And <laughs> there's a term in anatomy and physiology, we say form before function. And so mm. you can look at the form of something and its physical appearance and it tells you something, you can sort of anticipate or hypothesize, make an educated guess as to what the functionality of that thing is going to be, how that thing wow. is meant 
to work. That's so cool. Yeah. And so the body itself, it reveals something about who we are and how we're supposed to live. In theological terms, this means that there is a purpose and a design behind the physical world. And, you know, and so we recognize that as Christians. So looking at that from a Christian perspective, like that is a really kind of unique way to see the world, um, that there is purpose, there is design all around us. If you remove God from that equation and you're trying to look at things just from a naturalistic point of view or more of a evolutionary point of view, you really lose that, that intentionality and that, that design. You end up with just kind of chaos and and random chance. It's, you know, the, the reason that things work isn't because there was a purpose or design behind them working, but it happened accidentally. And oh, it's, it's nice that it works. Um, but when we look at it from the perspective of God creating, we see and believe that there's an intended purpose behind everything he created and everything that he designed. And it works together according to, to his plan. Romans 1:20 says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Early church fathers kind of came up with this term of general revelation, the general revelation of creation, which Romans 1:20 sort of speaks to. So, we know that we obviously can learn lots about the character and attributes of God by reading by reading the Bible. Like that's our that's sort of our source text on learning about who God is. Mm-hmm. But we also know, and the Bible tells us this, that the heavens declare mm. the glory of God. And Romans 1 and Romans 120, you know, tells us too that creation tells us something about God. So we also can learn truths about God and and about his character and about who he is by looking at the created world. We're sort of without excuse because we can look at creation and see there's intentionality and see that there's design. And even if, you know, we don't know the whole story of salvation by looking at creation, we know there is a God. Yeah. And we can tell there is a God. So uh, in her book, Love Thy Body, Nancy Piercy concludes that the human body is part of it's part of nature it's part of this design that god has created and it has a built-in purpose it has a built-in purpose and a built-in theological design which means that you were made with a purpose for a purpose yeah so you were made with a purpose and for a purpose and our human bodies tell us something about it what what it means to be human. And this speaks also to our sexuality because that's a very mm-hmm. integral part of being human I and mean, about our experience as human. <laughs> as human. <laughs> Add a plural to that. As humans, men and women's bodies, they were made to complement each other. They were made to work together. And when we think about from a from the perspective of sexuality, they were made to work together for procreation and um, also in God's good design, made to work together for pleasure. <laughs> yeah. So both, one and the other. And uh, we don't just see the importance and purpose 
of our physical body in creation. Like we can look at the creation and we see it, but we also, interestingly enough, can look at the doctrine of Christ or Mm. I think, I don't know, I'm going to try to say this, but this is one of those theological words and you might have to to correct me, Ashley. Christology? Christology. Christology. There we go. I added an extra, an extra syllable (laughs) there. Christology. (laughs) I'm guilty of that quite often, though. Whatever my husband has to has to uh, correct my pronunciation of things, it's usually always because I have added an extra syllable. That's too funny. Yeah. So the doctrine of Christology, um, the doctrine of Christ, and we can look at Jesus and really see the truths about the body by looking at his life that God became flesh. Like, did you ever wonder why it was that the gospel of John opens with this emphasis that Jesus became flesh? I mean, it's might not be the kind of stuff that keeps you up at night, but if you want to really understand what the Bible has to say about our bodies and what we should do with our bodies, Um, And really the practical implications with sexual ethics, really with conversations on abortion and transgender ideology, um, I think that you'll find this interesting. Each one of the Gospels emphasizes the incarnation, that Jesus was human, that he had a human body, that he could smell the sweet aroma of the alabaster perfume, that his feet would get dusty after walking a long day, that he felt the pain of losing a loved one, that he wept at Lazarus' grave. And he probably had to make awkward small talk at family gatherings. He, he knew what it meant to be human. He, he ate and he drank and he slept The gospel writers really make a point of describing his humanity in great detail, that he was fully God, but that he was fully man. We read about the apostle Thomas feeling the scars in Jesus's hands. And this emphasis on his physical humanity was very purposeful especially during the time that the Gospels were written, originally written. Gnosticism was running rampant during the early church. And it was this claim that the soul was all that mattered. Hmm. That the soul was the good part of man. And that sounds pretty holy. And it does. It sounds holy. It sounds good. Um or, or spiritual, maybe I should say. It sounds pretty spiritual. <laughs> because it emphasizes the spirit over and above the body. And not just over and above the body, but really at the expense of the body. Mm-hmm. And so we get things like asceticism, where, you know, in very pious religions, people would abuse their bodies, even as like a way of worship. Or think they had to deny themselves any physical pleasure at all. I mean, we're not just talking sexuality. We're talking eating and drinking and enjoying life in order to be holy. You actually saw this a lot in the early church and even in some of the traditions of um, the monks. And so 
it was very purposeful that Gnosticism be addressed. And you see it in a lot of Paul's letters, and you see it here in the Gospels, that our bodies wouldn't be seen as something pointless or even something evil, but that God himself took on human flesh to redeem us. And when he redeems us, he doesn't just redeem our souls. Mm. He redeems all of us, body Mm. and soul. Yeah. And so when we think back to the scriptures on the resurrection, that we too will be raised from the dead, that that really gives a complete picture of redemption, that it is the whole person that's being redeemed, not just our spirit, that God doesn't leave any part of you irredeemed. Hmm. He saves all of you. But unfortunately, the Gnosticism of the early church um, and kind of that, that era and heresy that they had to deal with, it's still around today in just different forms. Mm. There's a philosophy known as Cartesian dualism. And rather than elevating the soul over and above the body, because people don't necessarily talk as much about the soul today, although it's gaining popularity with um, the influence of Eastern mysticism, And people are becoming increasingly more spiritual. And so you'll actually see that in modern rhetoric, in pop culture, the soul or the spirit is kind of being referenced again. But still, by and large, people kind of get uncomfortable or it seems still kind of religious to talk about the soul. Mm. And so in secular psychology and philosophy, rather than elevating the soul over and above the body... They just call it the mind, the heart, the mental part of you. The internal sense of self. Yes. That that is more important than the body. That's Cartesian dualism. That your mind is considered more important than your body. Your mental greater than your physical. Your, what did you say? Internal sense of self. Yep. Your internal sense of self. Yeah. That still exists today. So what does this mean for... Our Christian sexual ethic. Yeah, because particularly, you know, as a sexual theology ministry, <laughs> we like to we like to look at these concepts and how they affect us broadly because we're more than just sexual beings, but uh, we obviously bring them back around and apply them uh, to our sexuality because that's what the emphasis of a lot of the things that we talk about are. So, so how does this apply to our Christian sexual ethic. Well, if we, if we think about this, people have been mistreating their bodies since, well, really ever since sin. <laughs> so it's been a very, very long time. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting When What do you think is the first biblical account of harming the body? I mean, obviously, Cain and Abel. Yeah. That's harming another's body. Can you think of an example before that? Would it be, I mean, is there anything integral about the sin in the garden that was harming of the body? Or do we really think of Cain and Abel as kind of being that first? Yeah. I don't know. I would think that would kind of be the first. I'd have to think more deeply on that. Yeah. Before 
making like any definitive statement. <laughs> but it's an interesting thought. It is an interesting thought, thought because it definitely it's been around at least as early as uh, King yeah. Abel. <laughs> and I'm sure there was plenty of things that happened to Adam and Eve and that uh, it's just the Bible doesn't doesn't say everything about their about their lives. So we um if it does they'd have some pretty boring lives because there's only like whole chapters about them. And that is all that's to be said about Adam and Eve. They didn't do anything else their whole life. Yeah, that, that would have been really scary, pretty uneventful. They had some kids and toiled the ground. And died. But bodies have been mistreated for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And if we if we think about, you know, what are some some ways in which we mistreat our bodies today? Well, we starve ourselves. People will starve themselves to achieve certain certain body images. Um, people will, you know, casually hook up with strangers for a night of pleasure, and then that's not just their body, but somebody else's body that's involved in in uh, in that act. Uh, we'll alter natural anatomy of our bodies through uh, sex reassignment surgeries. Um, a woman who might struggle with same-sex attraction and then choosing to act on that attraction, you know, is ignoring the design of her body in order to follow her heart's desire. And then we even will discard human bodies, discard the human bodies of the unborn through abortion. So there's lots of different ways that we can see just bodies being mistreated against what you know they were designed for and against supporting their 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 healthy functionality. And so when the body and the soul when we when we separate it and we see it as two different parts the body often gets the short end of the stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's often what is mistreated in many areas uh but also in in sexuality and I would even say especially when it comes to our sexuality. So we're going to be referencing the book Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy quite a bit in this episode. I think we've already referenced it twice. Yeah, we should give away a <laughs> you free copy it, to listeners I referenced this week. it, and I'm referencing it again, but it's really been an integral part in kind of helping our understanding of theology of the body. And so she's her her material is kind of a good a good a good source material and kind of helping unpack some of the the biblical texts and mm-hmm apply them to everyday everyday life. She really does a good job, a good job at that. And so in each chapter kind of of her book, uh, she breaks down the effects of this type of thinking of the separation of body and soul and how that affects our sexual ethics today. And so I'm just going to briefly unpack a few of those chapters. But I'm going to emphasize the brief part because each of these topics that I'm going to discuss here is a really loaded. heavy, loaded topic. And this is, I'm not saying everything that this there is This is not the final say. word. This is not the final word. Also, this is more of a, I would say it's definitely a summary of kind of her points on it. Mm-hmm. And we would agree mostly with what she has to say on it. Mm-hmm. But this isn't also... Yeah, it's kind of our a summary. Yeah, our original idea. Um, it's kind of a summary of of her text. 
And we thought it was important to include, though, because we do think it's there's some good points. And so just be gracious, please, because it's not everything that there is to say about these topics. Each of these topics could be their own podcast, and some of them will get their own podcasts in the future. So the first, when we look at abortion. So from the moment of conception, a human being is is growing in a mother's womb. Maybe I should say a human is growing in a mother's womb. So when egg meets sperm, they fuse together the DNA from the egg, the DNA from the sperm, they come together to form a unique human genome. Okay. Even if somebody wants to say at those earliest stages, it's just a ball of cells, they can't deny that it's human cells. Okay. They are human. They're not something other than human. They're not something alien. They're, they're human. And any, actually, there's not a respectable scientist, I would say, that would deny that what is inside of a mother is indeed, mm-hmm. is indeed human. And so it's kind of baffling then to some of us that if, you know, pretty much all scientists would agree that what's in a mother's womb is human, then how can we discard it? How can we remove it from the womb and not allow it to not allow it to live. Yeah, how, can how can we, we justify abortion? How can we justify abortion? How can we justify killing a human? Well, because even though it's human, it's not considered a person under the 14th Amendment. And that's how the case of Roe v. Wade was ruled. So the problem isn't that scientists don't agree that it's human. The problem is is that they don't agree whether or not it's a person. Specifically, bioethicists, they can't agree on when a human becomes a person with an autonomous will. Is it in the third trimester? Is it when a baby's fully formed? Is it the moment they're born? Is it when they can survive on their own? Modern science doesn't give us a definitive answer. And so in the meantime, that difference between human and person disconnects a human body from the whole person. It disconnects the human body from the soul and the will that is that makes it not just a it's not just a body, but it is a person, mm. and it treats it as an expendable biological organism. Okay. So, in that example, we can really see the importance of having an understanding of body and soul, Holistic. not just body, not just soul, but both mm-hmm. embodied souls. Yep, embodied souls. Uh, And then when we think about sex, so bodies are, we often, they're used, sometimes they're abused, they're used as instruments for physical pleasure. Um, The act of sex is often disconnected from the deeper person that has an emotional need for love, Mm. but it's emphasized as a physical thing, a thing that can feel good, Mm -hmm. make you feel good. Um, which is more of an inter- internal thing, but also a physical thing. Yeah, as we'll as but we'll be talking about just in a future isolate episode. The physical, but like, they can isolate the songs. You know, let's get physical. Like just emphasizing, just yeah. the thing with your body and yep, disconnecting the, it from your from heart the deeper, and your emotions. Yep, the and heart, intimacy, the will, that internal sense of self. Uh, sex ed classes. Okay, they'll teach you how to use contraceptives. They teach you how to prevent disease, but they say very little about protecting your heart or fostering romance. Um, and our culture, well, it tries to create a distinct line between that physical and the emotional, um, 
And so, so in those in those education classes, we can kind of see the setup even of of separating the the physical versus emotional ramifications of sex. They talk a lot about the physical ramifications, mm-hmm. um, you know, an unwanted pregnancy STD. or STD, but they don't talk about the unwanted emotional ramifications. Right. So you kind of have this setup acting as if one night stands or multiple sex partners, they don't have any effect on a person as a whole. And that those who can separate sex from love, they're often seen more, they're seen as more sophisticated. Yeah, sex in the city. Yeah, in our society, um, because they have the ability to do that. They, They don't let their heart get involved. They just treat it as something physical. Conversely, those of us who, you know, dream of love or, you know, that emotional connection through the physical... Sometimes they're seen as immature and should really wait on that until they've kind of come to that realization or they've basically had enough encounters and enough hurt to kind of become callous enough to seek out uh, sexual non-intimacy instead of sexual intimacy. And so we see that disconnect between the physical body and that, that uh, well what we would say the soul (laughs) and that internal sense of self or that that mental that mental side of things it's kind of just powered through and then finally with um homosexuality and transgender identities uh obviously there are a lot of different things to unpack and even trying to put both of those in one one camp can be difficult because you're talking about two different things many times. But anatomically, heterosexuality is normal for humans. And we are anatomically, we are designed to procreate sexually, the male and a female. Mm-hmm. You can't procreate with two males and you can't procreate with two females. You have to have a male and you have to have a female. But a heart's desire for same-sex attraction can silence the the design of the body in favor of following the heart's desire. Or, yeah, yeah, in favor of following the heart's desire. (laughs) I said that right. (laughs) And so um, this narrative, it sort of ignores the fact that the body could, it could be correct. Right. And I would say that it kind of does that in both for homosexuality and for transgender identities. Um, that internal sense of self, whether it be your internal sense of attraction, mm-hmm. is what is right and what you should act on to be happy. Mm. And your internal sense of self when it comes to um, transgender identities, that's what you should act on uh, because it will bring you more. Well, in the case, a lot of times with transgender identities there might even be some mental some other underlying mental illnesses or uh, mental health issues that are going on and so it'll help bring peace to those is a lot of times that the uh, argument the argument or the advice the counseling that a lot of these a lot of people who are struggling with that will receive that by by uh, pursuing what their internal sense of self is saying versus what their body says about them it will help bring peace to their to their lives and help them feel more at home and they won't have to have that as one of their mental health struggles and so 
in in both of these, we see that trusting that heart or that internal sense, (laughs) following that heart, following that internal sense of self, uh, over following what the physical body might be saying. And when you look at kind of what we've been talking about and the theology of of the body and the fact that we are body and soul, you really have to struggle and wrestle with what your body has to say, what your body also has to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't just ignore what your body, the um, testimony of creation, the, yeah, the testimony of creation in your body. And so in each of these areas, in sex, in abortion, in looking at um, homosexuality or transgender identities, they kind of we kind of see that that conclusion of that disconnect between the body and the soul and that mental or that internal sense of self being elevated yeah. and over what the physical body has to say. But as Christians, we know that our bodies are an important part of God's creation and that they matter. And they, they not only matter to our everyday lives, but they matter to the gospel. Um, the Bible warns us that it's our heart that can actually lead us astray. Yeah, <laughs> It doesn't actually warn us that our bodies can lead us astray, but it warns us specifically that our hearts can lead us astray. Despite what Disney says. Yeah, in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful. It's deceitful above all else, and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Mm. Who can understand it? So with that being said, we realize that our hearts can be deceptive. Mm -hmm. We also realize, though, that our bodies aren't perfect. Right. So it's not like our bodies always have the definitive answer. We can see that we see fallenness in creation all around us. But I want to back up to what you're saying. The heart is beyond cure. Cause I think that's an interesting thing. I just, I just was thinking Mm -hmm. as you were saying that, that we all know our bodies break down and get unhealthy. And we all know that our bodies can have experienced the fallenness of, you know, cancer and sickness and disease in this broken world. Mm -hmm. But yet, and no matter how much medication you take, how much exercise, no matter how healthy you eat, you can never achieve the perfect physical status, right? Right. But I think we've believed the lie that we can achieve the perfect heart, mental or heart uh-huh. with enough counseling, mm. with enough, you know, psychology, with enough self-help books mm-hmm. that we can eventually like trust that our heart is in the right place. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we've, yeah, kind of believed that lie mm-hmm. that like you can get to a spot where you can trust your heart. You can get to a spot where mm. your heart should be followed. And mm. the Bible's saying it right here that it's deceitful above all things and it's beyond cure in this fallen world. Mm. Like you're never going to achieve this perfect sense of alignment and peace with your internal sense of self. And so knowing that our heart is deceptive and knowing that even our bodies can be affected by just the fact that things are not the way that they're supposed to be this side of heaven, but that sin is having its day. And sometimes that means it affects our body. And what does that, what does that mean for us as Christians? Well, when there's a disagreement between our hearts and our bodies or our internal sense of self or our soul (laughs) and our bodies, we aren't called to choose one over the other. We're actually called to submit to God's truth. So what does his word say? 
Well, his word tells us that male and female were created, one for the other. In this case, the general revelation of our bodies, it agrees with the special revelation of God's word, pointing to a consistent design that testifies to his truth. Our feelings, our emotions, they have to always be tested against the authority of God's word Mm -hmm. because we're holistic beings. We're both body and soul. Mm. We are whole. Yeah. Both need to be submitted to God. Yeah. If we're going to be wholly surrendered to his truth, mm-hmm. recognizing that our bodies, our hearts, those things aren't going to be perfected, but his word is perfect and true. And how can we wholly surrender to the truth of his word? And this really gets into the personal application, the applied theology, mm-hmm. the applied theology of the body. Okay. You know, we, we understand the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of Christ, how that relates to some of these practical matters of body and soul. But what does that mean for how we should live? And I don't, I don't want to give everyone listening like an existential crisis, um, but I think you can handle it because I remember having these thoughts at 11 years old. I was a very deep thinker. Uh-huh. Uh, I would lay in bed at night and watch the ceiling fans spin. And I remember thinking as an 11-year-old, could I have been born at any time, in any place, with any mom or dad or brothers or sisters? Like, why me here? Why Ashley? But the answer to that question is that we weren't just a soul that was randomly plopped into a body. Mm. Your unique genetic makeup is from your mother and their mother and the mother before them. What makes me me, what makes you you, it's not just a soul that inhabits, you know, any random person. You are your body and your soul. It's not just your individual thoughts or ideas or beliefs. You are also your lived experience, your background, your story leading up to this very moment, your family, your unique genetic makeup, your womanhood. That's all part of you. The only you that could exist is at such a time as this. And scripture tells us in the story of Esther that that maybe, you know, I was born for such a time as this, just like she was born for that moment in history. Hmm. We all were distinctly chosen at such a time and place. God made you the way he did in this time and place for a specific purpose. He didn't just randomly assign you to a body. Hmm. He thought of all of you when he created you. In fact, when the Bible speaks about God creating you and knowing you before you were born, it it often speaks of your physical matter in those verses. Think about that. Um, Amber referenced an example earlier about being knit together in our mother's wombs. Psalms 139 verses 15 to 16 say, When my bones were being formed, carefully put together in my mother's womb, When I was growing there in secret, you knew that I was there. You saw me before I was born. The days allotted to me had all been recorded in your book before any of them began. 
God knew us. And he didn't just know us in some intellectual way when your bones were being formed, when you were being knit together with physical matter. He had your body and soul in mind. Or in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It talks about knowing you and forming you in the same verse so those ideas aren't divorced from one another. Because this this body is you. The body that you have, wherever you're sitting right now, driving in a car, listening to this podcast, cleaning your house, whatever you're doing, whatever you're using your body to do, this body is you. If your body is injured, you are injured. If someone violates your body, they don't just hurt your body, they hurt your soul. Hmm. You are body and soul. Two distinct parts that are inseparably united. This body is meant to be inseparably, conditionally united. This body is you and it will always be you. Yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so important. It's so important for us to realize this. And if there's one thing that we really need to take away, that we really want you to take away from, from the theology of the body, it's this. What we do with our bodies matters. If we view our bodies as just a way to fulfill our desires, to mobilize our longings, to fulfill our needs, to align with our internal sense of self, our body becomes used and abused. But if we use our body and use, or we, we end up using our body and oftentimes someone else's body for our own gain, our bodies need to be treated with dignity and respect because they tell us something about who we are. They inform our identity and they show the world who God is. Our culture talks a lot about creating ourselves. Mm, yes. A lot about creating ourselves. But we don't get to create ourselves. When we trust in a creator, we know that we've already been created mm-hmm. in his image. In his image. We trust that he put us here for a purpose mm-hmm. and with a purpose. And so we live on purpose to show his beauty to the world. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about purpose and just hinting at it, but I think we should uh, close the episode with just reflecting on that purpose of being made in his image, that we've been given these bodies to be somebody and that somebody is to glorify God Mm -hmm. as his image bearers. We know that when God decided 2000 years ago, to send his son to take on human flesh and the human body of Jesus. That Christ's body was, was critical to our salvation. And that through Christ, you know, we could see God. He made himself known through the body of Jesus. Today, we are told that we are the body of Christ. And so our own bodies are part of what it means to live out the Christian life, and to be his image on this earth. Together, we as the body of Christ are to reflect God's glory here on this earth. 
Mm. Yeah. And as I've studied the theology of the body, I've really come to realize this necessity of how our bodies play a part in showing Christ's beauty to the world. Um, I like this quote by Greg Allison. He says, being made in the image of God entails the embodiment of the image bearer. Human embodiment, then, is according to divine design. And I think we see this when Paul writes, I hope I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ and Mm -hmm. to die is gain. To live is Christ. Mm -hmm. Because when we are fully alive, we reflect Christ because it is him who breathes life into us. And it is him that sustains the life in us. He revived our dead hearts and gave us new life in him. To know Christ and to be known by him, that's what it means to be fully alive. You are an embodied soul, a soul with a body, a body with a soul. (laughs) You are somebody and you were made for such a time as this. Thanks for joining our conversation about the theology of the body. Next week, we're going to be talking about the history of the sexual revolution. And until then... No. And be known.